He is risen. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He has defeated death. He has broken the power of sin. He paid for our sins, releasing us from guilt and condemnation. Today is the celebration of our joy and our hope. But I got to ask you, do we have joy and hope? Do we really? For those of you who are just joining us uh, this morning for the first time, we've been uh, focusing for the last month on the cross. We've been feeling the shame and sorrow, recognizing that our sins put Jesus on the cross to die. We've been faced with the overwhelming contrast between Jesus' response, His love, His strength, His forgiveness, and our own response to pain and to injustice. Last week, we ended with Jesus' death on the cross, the darkness that covered the earth, the the hopelessness that the world was plunged into. Last week ended with abject hopelessness. Jesus was dead. The hope of the people that here would be the one to free them was dead. The hope of the disciples that here would be the one to give them joy and peace. The one who really loved them was dead. The hope of the world was dead. Abject hopelessness. We uh, noticed last week that today, in this world where we live, there are many who believe that God is dead. That most people, including, quite honestly, many of us here in this room, live as if God were dead. It is just abject hopelessness. We live in a world where hope is in short supply. That's what we're going to pick up this morning. From that point, we're going to talk about this hopelessness. Where is our hope? Even today, nearly 2,000 years after the event that was supposed to bring hope into the world, this world is a pretty hopeless place. We see the news reports of millions starving We see the reports of thousands who've been ruthlessly slaughtered for ethnic cleansing. We see disease and disaster taking lives everywhere. We see the social degeneration of our own society, most obvious in the big cities, but clearly visible in our own schools and families. Getting down to our own lives, where is the hope? We look for it in so many empty ways. We buy lottery tickets. We seek higher paying jobs. We uh, go into incredible consumer debt. We uh, try to avoid taxes, all because we're looking for that hope. And one of the ways that our society tells us we'll find hope is through wealth and material things. And if I only had enough, I would feel secure. I'd feel peace. The pressure would be relieved and relationships could flourish. But it's a vain hope. And in all of our efforts to find what our hearts long for through 
through wealth and material possessions, we discover that the pressure just increases. Our relationships don't flourish. If anything, wealth and possessions and debt and, and preoccupation with money just tears families apart. Marriages disintegrate. Children turn on their parents in hatred. Siblings turn on each other. So we look to relationships for hope. Trying to find the right man, the right woman. But they can't be found. So we end up running from one disappointing relationship to another. Or living in quiet hopelessness as we discover that the person who said they would love us forever only loved us as long as it was convenient, if at all. So we look to our children. Our children are our hope. But if you have stood at the grave of your little one whose body has been broken by disease or by the crushing metal of an automobile, where is that hope? Or if you've seen your child's future ravished by drugs or rebellion, where is that hope? Even in the best of situations, we know that our children will grow into adulthood facing the same hopeless realities we face every day. And all of our escapes, whether it's recreation, alcohol, uh, novels, TV, sexual addictions, drugs, bars, cabins, hunting, food, all of them leave us just more hopeless when the thrill is gone. The escape is progressively shorter, more painful. Where is the hope? Let me tell you about a relative, my wife's cousin. We received a letter from her this month. Several years ago, her mother died, leaving her father and her, her brother, her sister, and herself behind. Her father has prostate cancer and will not live long. I, even though I don't understand why, her father is very angry at her, refuses to talk with her. Hates her. Her brother is an alcoholic, and he's lost in his own blurry world. So I just left her and her sister to support each other, encourage each other. Well, this last January 25th, just two months ago, her sister went into the bank where she was working. Uh, it was her day off, but they were short-staffed, so she went in to help. That morning, two men came in with guns walked up to her window and demanded all the cash. She obediently complied, and they told her to get down on the ground, face down. She did what they told her. And even though she did exactly what they told her, one of them still chose to put a bullet in the back of her head. She died immediately. Now her cousin is alone. Now, how do you tell her about hope? What's it going to sound like to her ears? Quite honestly, what does it sound like to your ears, really? But Easter is about hope. That's what we've come to celebrate is hope. So let's look more closely at the Easter story. There is hope. We've been studying through the book of Luke, so let's look at Luke's account of the resurrection. If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke 24, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, I'll be reading these verses out loud. But if you've got one... Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went 
to the tomb. Our story ended last week with these same women who had stood at the cross and watched their hope die, who had wanted to do something for Jesus to take care of his broken body, had watched where the the body had been laying, and then they went home, they were preparing the spices, the embalming spices, but time had run out on them. The sun had gone down, and it was the Sabbath when they weren't allowed to do any work. So they had to wait till the end of the Sabbath. By then it was Saturday evening, and it was too late. It was too dark to go to the tomb that night. So the next morning, the first day of the week, Sunday morning, they got up very early, went to the tomb to care for the body. Now in Mark's account, we're told that as they were walking there, they were trying to figure out how they were going to move that big, heavy stone and get in. But verse 2 tells us, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. See, when they got to the tomb, the stone was already gone, so they went right in. But there was no body. They were confused. They had watched carefully where the body had been laid. They knew they were in the right place, but there was no body. It's important to recognize that these women were not expecting a resurrection. Even when the evidence suggested that possibility, it didn't even occur to them. They're just confused. They saw their Lord die. It's over. They are hopeless. The last thing they expected at a time like this was hope. While they're standing there trying to figure out what's going on, two angels come up beside them unnoticed and startle them. So it would have startled any of us. But then their startle turns to fear. Verse 5. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now there are a couple of things we want to notice here. The first thing to notice is the first thing that these angels said to the women. They said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. This is the announcement of the resurrection. This is is the statement of the fact that Jesus has come back to life. That He is risen. That He is alive. This is the objective historic facts. He is risen and He is alive today. Some people still insist on looking for the living among the dead. They only want to look exclusively at the historic evidence and and see if this is true, that Jesus rose from the dead. But then for some reason, they discount all the historic evidence. Ignore it. See, the fact is that, that, that there is enormous historic evidence, but most people dismiss it as the overactive imagination of the disciples. It is an historic fact. Let me read to you Billy Graham's words on this subject. The evidence is there. Historians accept as fact past occurrences for which they can produce only shreds of evidence. 
But the resurrection was attested to by hundreds of witnesses who saw Jesus, talked with him, ate with him, walked with him, knelt before him and acclaimed him as their Lord and Savior. If the statements of those who testified to the truth of the resurrection are not accepted as conclusive evidence, then no testimony and no evidence, whatever, can establish any truth in any age of history. See, the resurrection is historic fact. But we must not just look for evidence of the living among the dead in graveyards in history. We must look among the living. The greatest evidence of the living Lord is found in the living. What else could have explained the the, the transformation of this frightened, defeated group of disciples into a a bold, courageous band of men who, who covered the known world, proclaiming the fact of the resurrection, even in the face of horrible persecution and often slow, torturous death. Not one of them recanted under any torture. And what else could explain the literally thousands throughout history who have lived transformed lives, the the great army of Christian martyrs and missionaries who have faced death, who have have braved poisonous jungles and, and crossed brutal deserts and treacherous oceans, all out of their desire to tell others of this certain fact. Jesus is alive today. More immediate. Look at the lives of those who really know Him today. Look at the changes. Look at the the, the supernatural love and hope that dwells within them. Ask for an explanation. Jesus is not just an historic figure to be studied in history. Jesus is alive in the living. Jesus is here today to meet, to love you, to forgive your sins, to to release you from guilt and hopelessness. Jesus is here to offer His life to come into you, to live with you. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Now, the next thing we want to notice in our story is the next things the angels said. They said, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. First, notice that Jesus predicted his own resurrection. Now, it's one thing to consider that Jesus may have come back to life as some strange freak accident of nature. But days, months, even years before he died, he predicted that he would rise in three days. This is irrefutable proof that this is no chance event. This is a demonstration of his power as the Son of God. This is the proof that what he says can be trusted. Jesus' word is fact. This points to to the critical importance of God's word. God's word is to be listened to. It must be trusted. Had these women 
remembered beforehand what Jesus had said, they would not have been hopeless. They would have still been devastated to see someone they loved so much abused and killed would have still been a horrible trauma. They would have still felt the the pain of that experience. They would have still wept bitterly. Tears flowing out of their broken hearts. But they would not have lost hope. And this is so important. The, 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 The critical part that holding on to the word plays in having hope. We're going to come back to that in a second, but let's let's finish up Luke's account. He tells us these women then went to talk to the disciples. Now notice there are only 11 disciples at this point because Judas, faced with the hopelessness, has already killed himself. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with him, with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over it, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now the disciples did not believe the women. See, they too had lost sight of Jesus' words. They were hopeless. They were told that these women's stories sounded like nonsense. The word that Luke uses there for nonsense is a medical term for delirium. The the raving of someone who has a very high fever or someone who, who is insane and has lost all touch with reality. In the midst of their pain and their grief, in the face of hopelessness, the truth sounded insane. Sounded like nonsense. They couldn't believe it. They were hurting too badly to embrace it. All of their emotion and senses were screaming contradiction to the truth. The truth sounded empty and hollow, like it just wasn't true. Then Peter, in the kind of typical kinetic response that Peter always has, Peter never thinks, he just acts. He always reacts physically. Peter jumps up and he runs to the tomb. In John's Gospel, we're told that John ran after him, ran faster, overtook him and got to the tomb first. But John waited outside. When Peter got there, huffing and puffing, he just pushed John out of the way and went right in. And he bent over the, the, the sepulcher with the, the grave clothes, the, the, the linen that had wrapped the Lord, still in the shape of a human body. But Jesus' body was not there. So Peter was stunned. He walked out of there absolutely confused, trying to, to sort out what happened, sort out what was true. See, we see in Peter and in the apostles the normal response to truth in the midst of trauma. We see the normal response to truth in the face of hopelessness. It just doesn't feel true. It just leaves us confused and wondering as we try to to process it and sort it out. We're filled with questions, filled with pain. But here is the answer to our hopelessness. Let me tell you two stories, both of them true, 
both of them filled with incomprehensible pain. The stories are of two funerals. The first was a funeral I did for a young couple about 10 years ago. This young couple had just lost their baby, a little girl who died just days after she was born. A young mother was inconsolable. Her hope was gone. Her baby, whom she had loved as it grew inside of her, for whom she had all kinds of plans and dreams, who she looked forward to teaching and training as she grew up, her baby was gone. I don't believe there is a more painful, devastating event than the, the death of a child. There's nothing more seemingly pointless and confusing. There's nothing more challenging to the idea that God is good or that there's hope in this world than the death of a child. As I did the funeral, I tried to uh, speak words of comfort. I tried to remind them that God loved them and wanted to comfort them at a time like this. I, I tried to remind them that their little girl was in heaven and that one day they could join her and experience, enjoy her presence for eternity, but my words just fell sodden and empty to the ground. This young mother was consumed with the cruelty and the injustice of a world in which her little baby could die. All hope was gone. Abject hopelessness. As uh, I finished speaking, my words just sounded absurd to her, like insanity. And the funeral was over. She just sat there, limp and lifeless, uh, impervious to the, to the love of people around her, just lost in hopelessness. As years went by, she tried to find escape in alcohol and in hardness of character. Her marriage disintegrated, she divorced, her life just continued to free fall into deeper despair. Hope was gone from the world and she was being crushed by it. Abject hopelessness. The other funeral was also for a little baby. I had just flown up to a remote Indian village in British Columbia to comfort a missionary family of ours that had just lost a little baby to sudden infant death syndrome. Now here too was a young mother whose hopes and dreams were smashed, whose little baby she looked forward to, to training and teaching as he grew up. Her baby was gone. The pain was just as real, just as intense, just as devastating. In fact, there were more tears, more crying out the desperate question, Why, God? And there were no more answers for her than there were for the first mother. I uh, basically said at the funeral the same, uh, same things. I read the same scriptures. I weakly tried to offer the same words of comfort. But the miracle that I witnessed there still leaves me sobered, humbled with wonder. This young mother, in the midst of unimaginable pain 
confusion, in the face of abject hopelessness, clung to the words of God. She chose by the sheer power of faith to believe and then to obey. And her obedience was to confess the truth even when it didn't feel true. She spoke into the emptiness that God is good. She praised Him. She refused the seductive pleasure of, of despair and depression. She, she, she used her spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful. And her weapons were confession and belief and pouring her heart out in pain before her God. It took every ounce of strength she had to use those weapons. She would start by forcing herself to speak. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, her praise would flow. What she claimed there was not just comfort, but inexplicable joy. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand. The pain was not gone. The, 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 the void in her life was not gone. There were still times of intense agony. There were still times of screaming her pain to God. There isn't a day that went by. In fact, to this day, I don't believe there's a day that goes by that she doesn't miss her son. But there is a hope in her that cannot be explained. Now, people, please hear me. Even though this may sound foolish to you, I've got to say it because it's true. In Christ, there is hope. I can't explain it. I can't even adequately describe it. But I have witnessed it over and over in the living who have the life of Jesus in them and who trust Him enough to obey His word, His voice. We live in a world where children suffer horrible injury, debilitating diseases, heart-wrenching deformity. We live in a world where children die. We live in a world where lovers leave and take your heart with them. Where careers are destroyed at the whim of some corporate office. Where crime and cruelty leave us wounded. Where abuse of all kinds challenges, attacks our, our, our very self-concept. Where war and disease and disaster wreak havoc on real lives. We live in a world where families are being torn apart. We live in a world where not one of us is untouched by the effects of sin or of loss or of death. But we live in a world where Jesus Christ is risen, where He is alive today. He is alive right here, right now. We live in a world that He has overcome. Listen to the uh, words of our living Savior. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have pain and difficulty and afflictions. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Your joy will be complete. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. That is his word. That is his offer. And ultimately, the resurrection is proof that Jesus delivers on his promises. What he promises is hope for this life. In the midst of the pain and confusion, he gives supernatural peace and joy. And he offers hope for the next life, eternity with him, free from all of the pain. Perhaps these Two promises are the hardest for us to believe in the midst of the darkness of hopelessness. That He loves you enough to offer all of this to you. That His death is adequate to pay for your guilt and gain your salvation. But that is the ultimate truth of Easter. Jesus died for you so that you could live together with Him. That is your only hope. All of the other vain hopes that the world offers are empty and hollow. And even though the offer of a relationship with Jesus right now, forgiveness for your sins right now, His peace and joy right now may sound empty and hollow to you. It is the true and substantial hope. He is risen. He is alive. Believe it. Believe Him. Rejoice with the living and live. Let's pray. You are our living hope. We hope in You. We cling to Your Word. And live. Amen.